Today's episode of Tim Bell Pod is brought to you by the Tim Bell Pod Patreon. If you like what we do enough to toss a little coin our way, we'd sure appreciate it. We have tiers ranging from just $1 all the way up to $75. Today we're going to discuss the $75 tier. Now the big award for the $75 tier is a piece of wrestled on ring canvas. Since someone we know works for a company that I won't say, that provides ring canvases to a federation that may or may not have a network we have access to them. Now, due to the nature of how often they change their ring canvases, we can't promise when it was used or who it was used by, but it's something you don't have access to every day, and it's something I know I'd like to have as a wrestling fan. And as part of our top tier, you're also going to get everything from the lower tiers. A Man Scout Manning DVD, a Tim Bell Pod shirt, a random gift from High Spots, stickers, bonus content, and our newsletter. So if you're interested, head over to patreon.com slash Pod for more info. Now enjoy this episode of Tim Bell Pod. I think Brock Lesnar is our Andre the Giant. Supporting uh, evidence? Would you like to share? Right, Are we right. done? Here, here, here's my bullet points for it. All right. Oh, he, you have bullet points. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. This is just coming out of your ass. You actually did research. <laughs> All right. He, he's booked as this like dominant force and this spectacle to see in person, right? Uh, he, he even has this kind of like mythology behind you know Brock Lesnar. Uh, Vince even lends him out to the UFC the way that Vince Sr. did with uh, Andre to the territories. And uh, Brock is on Raw like four times a year. So he's keeping him out of the territory so his presence doesn't wear off just like Vince Sr. did with Andre. Oh, I thought you were going somewhere that, oh, Brock has been on Raw just as many times as Andre has been on Raw. <laughs> just, I mean, yeah. None. <laughs> I mean, he's on the, in- the the intro just as much, I'd say, probably. <laughs> Dead air. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. So this is going to be one of the cuts we make? I was waiting for it. Welcome to 10 <laughs> uh, Yeah, that's kind of what your cue was as Nick's the host. Like, I need more on this. I need more. And I, I expected more of a fight on that, and you guys are just like, all right. I was well, trying well, to think I mean, of someone else that fits all that because I feel like that's one of those theories where you could just come up with ten other people that you fit think the same. so. But the active, I, I, like Brock, is on the roster. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, so 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 was Ron Bass. So you saying that Ron Bass <laughs> was also the Andre the Giant and the Brock Lesnar of his time? Like Sam Houston was on the roster as well. Can we just put him in the category too? Yes, that's what I'm saying. All right, you know what? I, fuck you. Uh, welcome to Sam Bell Pod. We're just gonna start. Yeah, there you go. Hey, uh, nice, nice job. <laughs> the host doing what he's supposed to do. I appreciate that. All right, All right welcome. Welcome to Tim Bell Pod, where we discuss the life and death of professional wrestling superstars. Uh, I'm Nick Alexander, coming to you live from what I'm going to start calling the Manning Dungeon. 
thought it was the man cave. Ah, uh, Jesus, that's better. Or the Manning cave. All right, Manning. I will concede. All right, coming to you live from the Manning cave. Uh, <laughs> I love that. That's that's sticking. That's staying. Right. I oh God, I, I should get all the credit with man cave. Come on. Uh, I am joined by a man that can recommend you the fartsiest of artsiest movies, Michael Loving. Um, first off, I would like the correction on the last episode, Luna Vachon. I said that uh, Manami Toyota had more five-star matches than uh, Kenta Kobashi. She does not. Uh, I think Kawada Masawa beat her, too. Uh, but she has two five-star matches in one day, which none of those bastards can say. And this is just Tinbell Pod, just, just doing the research and correcting ourselves and always, always being there. Well, and uh, me and Micah are just two dumb marks sitting here with the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat endorsed professional wrestler, <laughs> the Stu Hart of podcasts, the Man Scout Jake Manning. Hey, thank you, little bastards. <laughs> 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 you take a look through the veins right here. Hey. <laughs> All right, thanks so much for listening, and please remember to like, subscribe, review, share on whatever preferred podcast listening thing you do. I don't know if that was a sentence. No, it was really uh, eloquent. Also, also follow us at Tim Bill Pod. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, to keep up with who we're covering, who we will be covering. Also, we have a website now, timbellpod.com. Woo! All right, so it is the 10th episode of Tim Bell Pod. And we wanted to cover someone big, pun intended. Pun intended. Every once in a while, someone will come along that's bigger than their field. Michael Jordan in basketball. Tiger Woods in golf. Tiger Woods in sleeping with prostitutes. Uh-huh. I don't uh, think they. he paid them. I think they just... <laughs> come on, Tiger's on the comeback trail. <laughs> C-U-M. But today, we're going to talk about someone that is bigger than any federation, any world title uh, one of the most famous professional wrestlers of all time the first ever wwe hall of famer the eighth wonder of the world andre the giant does anybody want a peanut <laughs> see that doesn't work for brock at all so your theory's garbage oh merci beaucoup <laughs> <laughs> all right now andre has been talked about at length and covered extensively the man has an hbo documentary that made me cry both times i watched it yep uh i assume if you're listening to our niche ass podcast you've seen some professional wrestling uh, you know some Andre the Giant facts. His fingers were the size of bananas. He could drink 100 beers. He farted for 30 seconds of a time. You, you get it. Yeah. Which, by the way, if I ever die and people make a documentary about me, please don't talk about my farts. <laughs> like, that's that's not a loving tribute. Like, it, like they spent so much time on his farts <laughs> as opposed to him growing up in France. Like, there's more about him... <laughs> Being uh, like the, like the worst farter of all time, than opposed like oh yeah, by the way, he lived in France. Like he grew up there. On your documentary, we'll just make the fart stuff the deleted scenes that goes on the DVD, <laughs> not included in the final cut. Now, How about that? if you're doing the Caleb Connolly documentary, then farts have to be a big part of the story. Like I can only imagine. So we're still gonna cover Andre and our Tin Bell Pod style, but we're gonna break it up into parts. Uh, we're gonna go through Andre's epic. WWF run in all its glory, but the bulk of info out there is on Andre's WWF run. So for today, for part one, 
we thought we'd slow it down, do a lot of digging, and spend some time on Andre's pre-WWF days because there's not that much info out there on it. And as far as being a performer in the ring, this is Andre at his best. Uh, a lot of people forget that Andre's entire career was before WrestleMania three. Yeah, I, I'm just amazed in some of the stuff that I just... Jesus, he was good. Yeah. I, yeah, and people forget that. People mostly know him from basically a time where he was broken down and people were concerned that he could even be competing in the ring. Yeah. And that's what most Just people... Just hugging that, uh, the, rope. the ropes all the time. And people mostly remember him for that. But, like, there was a, a time where he was not only one of the biggest attractions, he was a damn good wrestler. Good Lord. And still, I see a lot of comments on the internet from, you know, 19-year-olds that are who have only seen WrestleMania 3, and they're like, Andre didn't even do a top-rope Canadian destroyer and then hit Ken Patera in the stomach with a weed whacker. He's not good. Negative dud. Well, also, too, like, I, I've got, like, a whole catalog of matches of Andre from Japan, and there's little descriptions in each one of those matches, and there are a lot of them from when he, you know, wrestled later in his career, and they would just lambast oh, yeah. him, and they're and they're all like matches from like eighty six, eighty seven, you know, like like clearly not his best years, but they're like oh being lazy, yeah. not trying, <laughs> disrespectful, and it's like it's like the Wrestling Observer gave like him a Baba like worst tag team in ninety one and ninety two, like why are you even fucking like putting them on that, like why. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Michael Jordan, the shooting guard for the Washington Wizards. That's how people are. That's exactly, it's like if you just take Michael Jordan's Washington Wizards run and then just deciding that's his career. I don't know, Jordan had some 40-point games in the Washington Wizards. He was still Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah, he was still. Okay. Andre still drew like a motherfucker, so, I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, there we go. All right. It's better than the Bronx. Okay, okay, so it's more like Carl Malone and the Lakers, right? Like, that's what we're talking about. I'm going to get sad. Uh, poor Carl Malone uh, went to the Lakers, and they lost. And then he retired, and then they won the championship the next year. Or it's like Gary Payton in the Lakers. Okay. There you go. All right. Oh, right. <laughs> right. uh, LeBron in the Lakers. We don't know. We don't know how this is going to turn out. We don't know how this is going to turn out. Oh, Paul George coming soon. <laughs> All right, so if you've never ventured into Andre's territory days, hopefully we can give you a little bit of a roadmap because what we're doing for... 10 bell pod for our 10th episode is covering andre the giant in 10 territories oh my god it's so beautiful <laughs> and a, a quick note we're not gonna count nwa as one huge federation because we could probably do a three-hour episode just on nwa if we did that which brings me to my next point uh, if we don't hit your favorite territory or your favorite feud uh, DM us or message us and if there's enough of a demand and it means that much to you maybe in the future we'll do an Andre in the Territories Part 2 yeah. if, if, if it, these guys want to if it, if it warrants it, if we discover because we did a lot of digging in this episode and we discovered a lot of little nuggets yeah. we'll but probably... if, there, if there's some great match we skipped over I want to. I, I just don't want to know about it I, I want to watch the damn thing yeah. so uh, yeah tell much us like you that. harassed me a couple of times on watching the Stan Hansen match dude did you watch it? I did. What the, oh my god, I wish so you fucking no. good. <laughs> you should have just bullshitted me and said, nope, then I get mad, then you say, yep, then I'm like, ah, oh, good. Um, also, we're not going to like 
rank the territories because we're not a BuzzFeed article. Uh, we're not even going to go in chronological order this podcast. Because we just, don't have uh, that much time. <laughs> yeah, this is just going to be chaos and anarchy. Oh, yeah, and the battery just clicked over to a third of the power. So <laughs> we really got to wrap this up. We really got to get through this pretty quickly. It's going to keep us on track. So, All right, but before we get into the territories, let's uh, get caught up on Andre's life before he pulled an Eddie Murphy and came to America. I thought you were going to say picked up a prostitute. First thing, I went to. It's not not an odd thought. That's what everyone was listening went to. Either that, you're always like, oh, maybe he's going to wear a red leather jumpsuit. One or the other. All right. So there are two conflicting reports on where Andre was born. Some say Grenoble, which is at the bottom right of France, kind of close to the French Alps. And those people are fucking marks oh that is where he's cave fabe from uh, but the moon is where andre is. <laughs> but that's that's like believing someone is actually from parts unknown which is a lovely town in north dakota oh. uh, but i still see very professional websites and published books and articles and uh, things saying, aren't better than yeah, saying <laughs> that andre was born in grenoble but uh andre rusimov was actually born May 19th, 1946, about 40 miles outside of Paris in Molienne, France, which is in the middle of France towards the north and hours away from the French Alps. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for the reaction. <laughs> um, so as a child, he displayed symptoms of giganticism. Giganticism? <laughs> it's a gigantic word to say, Nicholas. <laughs> Uh, he was real big. And, um, we are from the south. <laughs> there's that, I mean, Mon- there's that Monroe, North Carolina coming out. Nick Alexander. Oh, why? I know big was like bigger than big. You, you guys made me the host, and I'm the worst at words. Uh, well, I think it's easier than because I still don't know how to say acromegaly. Acromegaly. That's right. the correct way. Anyways, he, say, yeah, yeah. Okay. I asked Spencer. She has a biology degree. <laughs> All right, so uh, he apparently reached the height of 6'3 and the weight of 200 pounds by the age of 12. Uh, On the Larger Than Life documentary, one of his childhood friends was like, he was the best soccer goalie. Just clogged up the net, man. Just... To to which uh, we'll file under the no shit uh, (laughs) portion of this show. (laughs) No shock. The most first ever pick in the history of sports on the play ball field. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so although Andre was a solid student, particularly good in math, uh, he dropped out of school in eighth grade because he just planned to work on his dad's farm, and he believed he didn't need a high school diploma to work on a farm, which in all fairness, it is old McDonald and not Dr. McDonald. Oh, yeah. Uh, a good little bit about, uh, I don't think this was in the documentary, but uh, Pulitzer winner Samuel Beckett, who wrote Waiting for Godot, uh English major bullshit that I'm going to throw out there, but uh, Samuel Beckett used to drive uh, Andre the Giant to school every day. I don't know the grades because I didn't do that much research, but uh, yeah, Andre the Giant and Pulitzer winner in childhood, he was just around greatness from the very beginning. And apparently he did that because Andre didn't fit on the bus, and like <laughs> yeah. I, I guess he drove like a truck or whatever, and uh, Andre could fit in the truck. All right, so he spent years working on his father's farm. Uh, He also completed an apprenticeship in woodworking. He also did some construction and factory work, none of which really thrilled Andre. But luckily for Andre, around the age of 18, a wrestling promoter who had heard rumors of Andre's size and strength showed up at his door. 
and he offered to teach him the profession and asked him to come to Paris. And somehow, no one knows this guy's name. Do you have you? Do you know? Uh, wasn't it Ed Capontier, or was that the guy that no, brought him over see, from? He was already wrestling when Ed came into the picture. Uh, yes, yeah, because I think Ed was the one that brought him over to Canada or the States or something. Like yeah, that. that's why. Because there was like this whole. I read this like magazine article about Ed Capontier and his relationship with Andre the Giant, and this is it's the guy I found. But like the story is very much like this story of this promoter. Yeah. Like he basically just ripped off this guy's story. So and, the, and the, there's interviews where people ask Andre this, but he just goes, bah, 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 bah. and then like they say, say that again, and he says the same thing. Like, okay, we're going on, so we don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Lord Alfred Hayes is like who picked him up from his house, and I heard him tell the story on maybe it was Carson, and he didn't name the guy either. And it's like you worked for him. Just say his name. <laughs> what what are, what are you doing to me? Probably uh, screwed him over. That's probably maybe. Uh, yeah. Probably, maybe. Probably, if anybody it. knows, please God <laughs> tell us. Please. Maybe if you get up with Samuel Beckett, maybe he'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the now seven foot tall Andre accepted and moved to Paris to train as a professional wrestler. And I say seven foot tall because I feel like that's a solid middle ground for how tall Andre actually was. Um, <clears throat> as professional wrestling, everything gets a little fudged when it comes to height and weight. Uh, Bruce Pritchard even said that Andre would wear lifts in his shoes. Like, a lot of wrestlers do that to appear a little taller. No, uh, no, 9 foot 17, 5,000 pounds. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's the way I know Andre. 9 foot 17. I mean, if you're 7 foot, you might as well make it like 7 foot <laughs> yeah, 2. Yeah. You know, you might, as well, you might as well put another lift you in there. You got to add a couple inches. You just can't be a flat Look, I, foot. Look, I just weighed in at 180 pounds this morning, and I tell people I'm 205. All right, <laughs> so like, I still... Yeah. Do that. There, there's also a lot of proof of Andre standing on platforms for photos Ooh. or interviews. Like that one interview Vince. was Vince, where he's like <laughs> yeah. up to his belly button. And Vince is my height, so Andre would be like 18 feet tall yeah. or something. Yeah, like, you know. Uh, so Andre was actually between 6'11 and 7 foot and a quarter inch, depending on who you believe. And towards, uh, towards the end, Andre was actually closer to 6'9 uh, due to a spinal curvature. Yeah. Uh, but either way, big guy. Um, and a big factor t- that hyped up Andre's size was his weight and bulkiness. Um, but at the start of his career, he was a little lean and lanky. He yeah, looked more he like an NBA center than the Andre we all know and love. Uh, in his early tapes, he moved around more. He had a much more athletic style and a sick sky hook shot. <laughs> well, also, too, uh, in that HBO documentary, I remember listening to a podcast with Bill Simmons, and Bill was talking about the documentary, and he said um, he was talking to the producer of, of the documentary on Andre the Giant, and he was saying that the toughest thing for the director and producer to cut out of the Andre documentary is all the early stuff in France when he was much more agile and moved around as much. And Bill was like, look, all this stuff is fantastic. This is great. And it's very rare footage and you're lucky to have it, but we got to cut it down to time. And that was like the toughest part. And for me, I would, I would imagine it's so because it's the side of Andre that nobody's yeah. ever seen before. Yeah. And the little bit that's on the documentary just blew me away. Yeah, it's totally like, no, this isn't, this is, this isn't him. Yeah. <laughs> and he, like the, the, in the, the mid seventies and late seventies stuff is, is fantastic because of his size, but he's still very, agile then totally. but to see him as agile as he was yeah. even earlier than that is mind-blowing yeah so andre would train and begin working matches in paris and uh once he got the hang of it all he was actually a pretty big deal in france like he had made it in wrestling before he ever came to the u.s he was uh 
I wouldn't say a celebrity, but he was a draw. Uh, one of his earliest matches that I found was May eighteenth, nineteen sixty nine, the day before uh, the day before his twenty third birthday. Uh, by sixty nine, he had bulked up to three seventy, so he probably no longer looked like a basketball player. Uh, Andre would compete under his real name in a tag match with his partner Ivan Strongsville, which that's a good that's a good <laughs> wrestling name. Yes, his last name's where he's from, so until <laughs> he checks out. Uh, they'd face off against Strong Kobashi and oh fuck Toyo Nobora. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's like you didn't try. When when whenever we if we ever cover a Japanese wrestler, I am fucked. Like, oh, God. Like, we just did. Am I going to have to be the host for yes, that one? you okay. are. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> so, uh, Andre, Andre's team uh, would take the loss. I'm going to blame it on Ivan. Uh, days later, he'd head over to merry old England for a tour of around five months. And this is when the first time I saw Andre would start being billed as Jean Ferry, a name based on a French folk hero, Grand Ferry. Uh, who was kind of like the French version of Paul Bunyan, but instead of chopping down trees alongside his lovable blue ox, he used his axe to massacre a ton of Englishmen in the Hundred Years' War. Oh, it's so sweet. So. And then dragged his bloody axe, and that's how the Thousand Lakes of uh, France came about. <laughs> Much like the Thousand Lakes of Minnesota were all just axe marks from Paul Bunyan. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to say it was a hill in England since <laughs> I mean, he was going out on a limb. Jesus Christ. That he would then chop down with his So ass. he was basically like the Leatherface and Freddy yeah. Krueger of that of that promotion? Did he come out with a chainsaw and the sparks hit the, the ring post? Is that what he did? Uh, so Andre also spent time working in Germany, Australia, Africa, and New Zealand, where he was billed as Monster Eiffel Tower. Which is like if you saw Godzilla coming, but instead of a giant lizard, it was the Eiffel Tower. And instead of crushing cars and knocking down buildings, he surrendered to the Nazis immediately. (laughs) You knew there was going to be a France surrendering joke. We did it. Let's move on. We need callbacks on that. (laughs) So uh, in early 1970, Andre would make his debut in Japan as Monster Rusimov. Uh, wrestling for the International Wrestling Enterprise, and throughout his career, he'd make the occasional stop back over at IWE. Real quick, uh, that's one of his earliest uh, matches that really blew me away was against uh, Strong Stronger Kobayashi, Strong Kobayashi. Uh, it's on YouTube or Daily Motion, 1972. I mean, it's just Andre and him just working holds. They're fighting for. I mean, it's the it's the chess match technical stuff. And they work like hell. And it's two out of three falls, and I think it's close to 40 minutes. Yeah. And you really get to see Andre just and him just working for everything. And the match is a really good precursor to the stuff that he did with Inoki because a lot of the spots they do and a lot of just the grit and determination and fighting for every little spot is uh, they do in the Kobayashi match. So definitely, definitely find that match to see Andre when he was like, he was a badass. It was uh, apparently around this time, too, that uh, doctors in Japan told Andre that he suffered from acromegaly, a disorder that results in ex- excess growth hormone. And I believe Andre's reply was, uh, no shit. <laughs> that's, that's file number two in the no shit category of this podcast? No shit. <laughs> guy has to wash his hands in a fucking bathtub. I think he knows he's big. <laughs> I think he just has to go outside and wait for it to rain. 
So uh, two other wrestlers with Acro Megaly, uh, Giant Gonzalez, which we'll eventually cover, and The Big Show, Paul White. Uh, however, Big Show had a surgery on his pituitary gland in the early 90s that would stop his acromegaly, uh, a surgery that Andre refused to get as he thought it would ruin his wrestling career, whereas with Big Show, his career suffered from WWE's booking. <laughs> and uh, I just want to, you missed Tony Robbins? Yeah? He's not a wrestler. Who cares? <laughs> um, and uh, just uh, Jaws. Uh, good old Jaws. The from shark. The James Bond uh, series. Richard, Richard Keel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nick yeah. Keel. How tall was he? I, did, I don't know. He's just fucking big. Oh, okay. <laughs> did, he have, did he have the forehead and all that? Oh, yeah. He had all of it. Yeah, yeah. He had all of it. You might remember him from Happy Gilmore, Nick. Oh, okay. <laughs> or the original Longest Yard, the far superior one. Uh, already shitting on your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, Andre made his American debut July 24th, 1971 in AWA, working a quick three matches under his real name, which we'll get to later. Um, then Andre went to Canada, where Jean Ferry uh, was billed as 7'4", 390-pound giant from the French Alps, those fucking liars. Uh, he's close, he's close. In uh, Montreal, he became a huge star. He would sell out the Montreal Forum and venues all over Canada. But eventually, Andre ran out of opponents for him to crush, and the novelty of his size wore off in the Canadian territories. So it was time for him to move on, and that's when he came to the U.S. of A. Very nice. I don't know. Why? Why? If, there, if there's ever been a that's going out, that, 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 that's no, no, no. getting cut. No, no, but yeah. <laughs> Is that going Listen, in? So, I was about to make a really it, terrible it, Brian it, Adams joke about Canada, and then you if, fucked it up with whatever it, that was. Uh, sometimes, if you can't write a solid joke, you do a Borat impression, <laughs> and it works. I, mean, I think we all know that my wife is the best bow red joke. <laughs> all, right. So, all right. So the HBO documentary mentions that uh, Andre being billed as Andre the Giant for the first time in Chicago. But the first time I saw him billed as Andre the Giant was October 23rd, 1972 uh, in a uh, World Wrestling Association in Indianapolis. Uh, I assume HBO got it right since they probably had an army of interns doing research and not one podcast host that was probably a little high. Uh, yeah, you thought that. What do, you, do you know for sure? For sure. I mean, I'm going to default to the HBO as opposed to, you know, high Nicholas Alexander. <laughs> I, I don't. I say uh, the documentary is the White House administration and we are, we are, uh, Watergate. We are busting it open. Yeah, if you want to believe the shadow government that runs wrestling and not <laughs> not us, then, then go ahead. I mean, if it was in Chicago, it would be AWA territory. Indianapolis was Dick the Bruiser's territory. So, and Dick the Bruiser worked for AWA. So, let's just give the credit to Dick the Bruiser. How about we do that? <laughs> okay, right? let's, let, let, let's just meet, the, meet in the middle. Dick the Bruiser was the one that called Andre the Giant, Andre the Giant for the first time. Let's just, just do go. that. Let's just admit that. Dick the Bruiser discovered Andre. He may, in fact, He went up to his Andre. house, met him, saw him on a farm, working <laughs> outside the road, and then he brought him to America. You know, it's not End Ed Capontier. It's not the, the, the nameless, Frenchless promoter. No, it was Dick the Bruiser. <laughs> new according history, to this podcast. New history starting here. Right here. 
right now. All right. Well, either way, he continued working as Andrei Rusimov and under his other various names. But on March 26, 1973, he'd have a WWF match uh, defeating Buddy Wolf at Madison Square Garden as Andre the Giant and the head of WWF, Vince Sr., liked that name. Vince Sr. not only suggested that Andre stick with that name, but also that he slow down his matches, limit his moveset, and be portrayed more as an immovable monster. Now, Andre could throw some drop kicks, he could run the ropes, he could move around a little bit, but Vince Sr. influenced Andre to become more of a dominant bruiser using power holds and showing off his tremendous strength. And WWF is the first territory we're discussing on this list. That correct? is. And, and uh, just to kind of make a little note, I think we had an internal discussion of why we we're not doing Montreal specifically is because uh, I believe Pat Lepard, the man who was on the HBO documentary, he's a historian of Montreal wrestling. Uh, he would do a far better job than what we would yeah. do. So like, I was like, let's move away from we'll Montreal. That's why we just burned through it just a few seconds ago, and we're jumping into much more American stuff. So I'm sure that will be something that will be discussed. Like, why didn't you talk about Montreal? He was a big star in Montreal. Well, there's somebody out there who's an expert, and if you want to talk to him, he's available and would love to talk about Andre in Montreal. That's so what we're saying now, we're an expert on the rest of everything. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Especially the rest of this, just in-depth research. Nobody's going to be any better than this. I and mean, we just dropped the nugget about Dick the Bruiser naming right? Andre the Giant. <laughs> who's going to drop that bombshell? All right. So the www.wwwf. You can uh, just call it Vince Sr. If you want to just call it, if you just want because that's why I, that's how you, that's how the old timers talk about territories. They don't say like the promotion letters. They just say, oh, Vince Sr. or Fritz. Uh, just, uh, just say Vince Sr. for the or section. New York or, or New York. Yeah. And that's another one, like the geographic location where the office were actually mostly wherever they got their check. Like right, Jim Crockett right, promotion right. was Charlotte because that's where <laughs> yeah. their office was. That's where they got their check. So if you want to just call it New York or Vince Sr., we will for this entire Or if you time. want to keep doing jokes, we can do that. <laughs> if you just want to keep saying www's until this battery runs out we can do that as well whatever you want to do nick all right so uh that territory uh <laughs> would, would uh dominate the northeast basically from day one growing out of vince senior's dad's promotion capital wrestling corporation as part of the nwa but vince senior and his partner tootsmont would uh eventually form their own promotion the wwwf building around the beloved bruno san martino and it's important to know that once Andre became a uh, Vince Senior wrestler, he was always a Vince Senior wrestler. Uh, but Vince Senior, being the good businessman that he was, didn't want to knock the shine off the apple like Canada did. So he would lend Andre out to several territories so that people in the Northeast wouldn't get bored of him. Yeah, and that's one of the things that Vince Senior kind of took over, like kind of the bookings for, for Andre and send him out. And something that I noticed in, in my research is... Um, he would he would book like handy he booked a handicap match with Andre against Jose Estrada and Johnny Rods and it really kind of highlighted the versatility of Andre the Giant and he's facing two men but he's also doing a lot of moves yeah. and he's doing a lot of double team moves and in my research of looking at other promotions this particular match between Jose Estrada and Johnny Rods circulated around so what Vince would do is like if you you know, booked Andre in St. Louis or booked him in 
Los Angeles or Texas, Vince, you know, in ahead of time for them to promote that Andre the Giant send is coming in. They would send TV. this particular tape, oh. almost like a demo reel, nice. like for them to get excited for this big giant coming in who could beat up two men at the same time. Ooh, so, good. so it was, the, it was Andre's trailer. He got a little teaser yeah. trailer exactly on all the, on all these territories. Yeah. Uh, you know. TV and stuff like that. So yeah, it's like it was, if we just had Don Lafontaine's like in a world where a big motherfucker, <laughs> yeah, just beat up Jose Estrada, <laughs> also known as one of the conquistadors, against Johnny Rods, a guy who would go on to train numerous wrestlers. Coming Tuesday. <laughs> and speaking of Andre working uh, everywhere, he worked a brutal schedule: uh, a week here, three days there, a month there, a week there. Three hundred days, over three hundred days a year, his entire career. Um, this schedule made it not just hard to cover for this podcast, but it made it hard for him to get in any long-term meaningful feuds, and impossible for him to hold any championships because it could be six months before he'd be back to defend it. Very tough on breweries too. Just for we got to do alcohol <laughs> jokes, right? And then yeah, everybody does. <laughs> Jesus Christ! But at the same time, too, like. If you put a belt on him, how are you going to beat him for? Yeah, that, same. Yeah, that's that that, that that whole thing. You got to come up with some screw job bullshit. And or, he's an attraction. Yeah, that's yeah. how he was seen. That's very smart. But Vincina is like this guy's an attraction. This guy's not a guy that's here doing a grinding for somebody. We this can is get guy someone that, else over with a belt. We don't yeah. need that. We don't need him. He's already over. I can bring him into some place. I can get the the booking fee for him and take care of him, and he makes some money. And it just see him in an attraction and not run him out. Like I think that's probably the smartest thing that's ever been done for Andre's career. I totally. think if Vince Sr. doesn't do that, we might be seeing Andre in the same light of a John D- uh, Don Don Leo Jonathan or even like a Stan Stasiak or somebody else that just kind of was or John Studd. Somebody yeah. that just kind of just pops so, up so, and so, it just disappears. Sorry. So Brock. He didn't need the belt, right? So your theory's holding up pretty good here. <laughs> Brock doesn't need the belt. You wanna, I, I think a good, a good. So for your point, Big Show people, uh, uh, at least on the internet, fucking hate Big Show. Yeah, they really do. Big Show they is fucking a fucking attraction. The guy's seven to five hundred pounds, and you know people in their Bullet Club shirts are like, "Man, I don't like the Big Show." He's Big sick. Show doesn't do Japanese arm like, drags. It's amazing that that guy can even do like a hip toss. Like he's huge, and and that's so that's like a perfect example of how uh, lending Andre out didn't spoil him, I guess. You know? Yeah, so if Big Show worked Brock Lesnar's schedule today, you may be seen as a different light. If he yeah. worked it like an attraction that popped in, popped back out, yeah. popped in. But like I think the the best parts of Big Show's career is when he leaves and then he comes back. When he comes back they usually put him in some very interesting stuff. When he came mm. back, he lost a little bit of weight, and he got yeah. into Floyd Mayweather stuff. Oh, it's so good. And then even his feud feud with Brock was great, and yeah. the times he pops away and comes back in, or the time that he gets put with Jericho, when you put him in a different light or a different situation uh, or a different direction, it's always great and fascinating. Yeah. All right, so after Andre's debut match against Buddy Wolf, uh, his next WWF match would be a battle royal and big surprise uh, as as Jake mentioned, he did a lot of handicap matches. He did a lot of battle royals throughout his career because a one-on-one match wasn't always believable against a giant. And battle royals were a good way to let someone else win without giving Andre a direct loss. And uh, that next battle royal would be won by Moondog Maine. 
and uh, no relation to Gucci Mane. <laughs> oh, Jesus Which, Christ. <laughs> and no direct link to Moondog Rex, but they did look similar. So, uh, After that, he would tag team with uh, Chief J Strongbow a lot. He'd have a tag. He'd tag out with Bruno San Martino for a match in 74, which that's a cool, iconic tag team. Yeah, totally. Uh, lots of matches with Larry Sabisco tagging up with him. Two living legends back to back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he'd face people like Killer Kowalski, Blackjack Lanza, and Butcher Vashon. All right, but who was one of the guys who slammed him for for all the people? They're like, oh, it was only Hogan. But I think at this point, most of the smart marks know that a shit ton of people slammed Andre. But yeah, Butcher was one of the earliest ones in '72. It was literally only Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen Nick's face when he said that shit. But in uh, in in, 19, in 1976, before there was the big dog. There was, there was the big cat, Ernie Ladd. <laughs> That's a good segue. Fuck you guys. All right, uh, Andre would, Andre would face the former San Diego Charger across the country in '76, including an April 26 match in the in Vince Senior's territory, uh, which is the number one match on uh, WWE Network's Andre the Giant collection of matches. Is the first one if you're playing along at home. Is that the one where Ernie just like he gets a count out because he's like, oh shit, yes. I'm scared, and he so just runs basic, away. Basically, uh, yeah, it's a first. Ernie starts out getting all this great old school heat with the ring jacket, and oh, it, it's it's fun. Uh, it, it's a it's a slow kind of methodical match. Uh, Andre dominates it. Lad hits a little comeback. And then Andre Fuck gets back in control. And he's like, nah, I'm going to take this count out. Yeah, and, and I can't wait for us to do an Ernie Ladd episode. Yeah, because he's, he's, he's absolutely the fucking best. Like, he's just one of those guys that just told it like it is. Well, it's like the Brickhouse Brown episode, the little stuff we read about yeah. him helping out Brickhouse. I mean, he was like, oh, shit, is he a dick? I was like, oh, no, he's kind of cool. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he's, he's a wise individual. He was extremely mobile. He was deceptively big. You know, like you... Yeah, he was, that's, sorry. he was an NFL player. Yeah, yeah, sorry to cut it, but the Ernie Ladd match, I was like, Andre's beating up dudes and, they're, and you know, he's just kind of dominating them. But the whole thing's like, Ernie was fucking huge. Yeah, yeah you see him and, against Andre, I'm like, oh, he's comparable. Yeah, he's comparable. And he's like selling like he's like, I don't know, 100 pounds less and five inches shorter. And I was like, I feel like they should have maybe built that more to have a real clash because Ernie was big, man. Yeah, and that's what you need for someone with Andre, someone who can bump around but also believable yeah. enough to get heat on him. And, and Ernie was definitely one of those few people who could do that and also was an amazing, amazing talker. Uh, <clears throat> so I wanted to bring up that match to bring up the finish because with Andre, a lot of finishes were countouts or DQs, again, <laughs> so that Andre didn't have to take a loss. But also, when he went to a territory, he wasn't beating the main guy there. Mm-hmm. So in July, uh, July 25th, 1976, Andre would face Chuck Webner in a non-shoot boxing match, which was part of the undercard of Ali versus Anoki at Shea Stadium, uh, which was more or less, a, this match was a publicity stunt. Yeah. And we'll get a little more into sh- this Shea Stadium thing when we cover Bruno. The whole, the whole deal was is that they could, they, Andre could wrestle him, but if Chuck got his... Uh hand around the ropes and they had to break it up so the whole time uh 
Andre waits till Chuck gets in the ropes, and then he grapples him, and then Chuck ties up, so they have to break up. And there's, the crowd starts booing, and I'm watching the match. I was like, just just grapple him in the middle of the ring, Andre, you dumb fuck. <laughs> and I was like, I, I got mad at the fans because they're like, no, be mad at Andre. He's bad strategy. Bad strategy. And uh, Chuck Wetmer, if I'm not mistaken, the real life Rocky. That is yeah. correct. Okay. They even like uh, Leave Schreiber. There's a pretty good movie where he even did the real Rocky movie where he played Wetmer, and it's pretty good stuff. So Webner, he was famous for just not getting murdered by Ali. Like, uh, that's how no, good he, Ali was. Um, he knocked Ali he knocked down. Ali down. No, AKA he stepped on Ali's shoe and Ali <laughs> fell the fuck down. That's that's the thing. I think Webner kind of he doesn't have the best reputation amongst some hardcore boxing okay. fans. But uh, yeah, that 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 matches. Uh, yeah, I think there's even a YouTube video. It's like, was that real? And it's like, of course it went fucking yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Webner, the Bayonne bleeder, as he was known, because he would bleed profusely during some of his matches. So it was kind of exciting. It was like, oh, this guy can get juice very easily. Let's book him against Ali to get the shit uh, out of him. He work for CZW. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's definitely, he, Zandig would have had an amazing <laughs> match with Chuck Webner. All right. So uh, October 3rd, 1979, Andre's cutting a promo with Vince about how he's undefeated and how he has to face four men in Japan just for a challenge. And in walks classy Freddie Blassie with his client, Hulk Hogan. And uh, Freddie challenged Andre on Hulk's behalf to a match for next week, and Andre accepts. But after a stare down with Hogan, Andre grabs the mic and says, Let's do it now! (laughs) So, now, WWE has a history of not wanting to admit that things happened in other federations, but Andre would not only work with Hogan moments later in their territory, but also for the first time in Louisiana. He wrestled him in Canada, the AWA. But this time, Andre was facing Hogan. Andre was the face, and Hogan was the hill. <laughs> yep. It's a little backwards from how a lot of people know it. Well, and actually, I think in in my research, I think the earliest interaction that Hogan had with Andre was in the Knoxville territory okay. for mm-hmm. South, Southeastern. In 1979, when Hulk was was Sterling Golden, and that's, I believe, Hulk would have been the heel then. But it's interesting because I think it's like before Hulk came to, you know, Vince Sr., so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Andre was looking for opponents and he was like, hey, you should check out this guy, or like Hulk comes comes in and and Andre's like, let me work him. I know I could wrestle him, so... That's kind of how the situation is. Like, oh, I wrestled this guy at some small show over here in Knoxville, or I wrestled him in, in Georgia. Oh, he's in the territory now? Oh, let me work him. So I think that's kind of the situation here. And I, and I dropped box you guys some some classic and rare footage of yeah. Andre, and on that list was some 8-millimeter footage that I got from Mike Gratchner, who is a guy that was, I think he ran Bob Backlund's fan club. <laughs> beautiful and he snuck he was a still photographer but he snuck in an eight millimeter camera that was rigged up with a still camera like rig so it still looked like a still camera and he would sneak so they were none the wiser yeah so it was like kind of like this pirated eight millimeter footage and one of the matches i had on the list was uh andre versus hulk with gorilla monsoon as the referee and just seeing hulk like be the heel in the situation. Yep. Also, uh, Hulk slamming Andre, which sticks with your theory, Nick, of Hulk being the only person. But it's a clear. <laughs> Nick's a, like CGI was pretty fucking good back then. But it's a clear body slam of Andre, and then uh, uh, and very funny. Like it was like at the end of the match, Hulk 
body slam Andre and then went for a second one. Andre fell on top of him, yeah. pinned him one, two, three, yeah. which was obviously a big angle from the WrestleMania three, three match. And so. uh, just on the eight millimeter stuff, my favorite part is the beginning of the videos when you can hear your bud fuck with the film and the projector. <laughs> We're like, okay, let's get. Uh, uh. Yeah. And then he clicks it over, and just getting to hear that tick, 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 tick from a film geek thing. Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> now, legally, can we post this? Uh, maybe. Like, I, I could probably put a few clips. I and mean, Gratcher just wants people to see, you know, because he's he collected all this footage, and is I think if I just reference him, yeah. like, hey, this is from Michael Gratchner, he just wants the recognition that he got I, this footage. I took some good uh, still or screenshots of Hogan when he's, like, in full heel mode, and his eyes are bugging out, and he's like, ah! <laughs> it's, well, it's some good stuff. And, and actually, I mean, I don't think you have a problem with it, because I was basically the guy that repossessed this footage from yeah. a guy that had basically stolen the footage from okay. uh, Gratchner. So, if it, if it, so wasn't for me like knocking on somebody's door at 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday um, this footage would never see the light of day so, so I think I'm I think I'm entitled a little bit to put a 30 second clip Jake bid the most on the storage locker got it worked out pretty good oh no no it was a straight up <laughs> shakedown it was let, let's let's not neglect my powers of repossession okay like, I just wanted a it was more it was more like West Palm Beach toe than it was storage wars I, I just wanted a shitty storage wars joke that's all I wanted well uh, well let's uh, if we won't get in trouble or sued let's put it on our bonus content on Patreon. Okay. Woo! Yeah, we can do that. We will do that. Yeah, absolutely. There's a commercial for our Patreon right there. <laughs> Shameless out, pluck. Calling out what you just did. All right. So uh, in this October of 79 match between Hulk and uh, Andre, Bruno, San Martino, and Vince Jr. were on commentary. And Andre, or Hulk, slams Andre, like, just two minutes into the match. <laughs> just Why would you build up anything? <laughs> just, just a nice, casual body slam. No big deal. Um... Tackle drop down, get it again, brother. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I like how uh, one announcer called her on one of the Andre things. It's the crotch, the crotch grab, and then the lift, and then the toss. <laughs> you mean a body slam? Yeah, the crotch grab. So at one point during this match, Hulk ducks out of the ring and Blassie slips um, something metal to put into Hulk's elbow pad, which was the first thing I noticed, Hulk Hogan wearing an elbow pad. Yeah, that's weird. Um, so he gets, Hulk gets back into the ring, Lex Luger's Andre with his metal arm, uh-huh. uh, Andre blades, Blassie and Hogan nope the fuck out of there when an angry bloody giant gets back up. <laughs> So, uh, Andre and Hulk throughout 1980 would have a series of matches ending in mostly DQs and countouts mm-hmm. and double countouts, time limit draws. Uh, but the two would eventually meet at the showdown at Shea Stadium in New York. And for some reason, on the WWE Network, they have Michael Cole call the match. Yeah. It's like, hey, why don't we take the Thriller album and dub over Michael Jackson with fart noises? That'd be good. I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but it's a funny one. I was going to say more like, hey, let's have Weird Al Yankovic, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Do, not do his parody, but just do um, hit, hit Thriller itself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mick Foley is also on commentary, so I guess it's, oh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in contemporary WWE commentary style, they don't talk about the match even a little bit. They're just everything but. Uh, but the match... Uh, at Shea is very similar to their first WWF TV match, uh, but Andre's suplexes Hogan from the apron into the ring. So it, I totally it, it's it's weird when you watch matches like that, and they and you know it's mostly holds and they're they're selling everything, but when they finally pull off a move, 
I mean, I've seen, you know, you've seen so much crazy shit. But when they did that, some of those simple suplexes that you don't see coming, I totally marked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, like, it was oh, cool God, to see. we're doing yeah. a big move. I mean, it, it, it's cool how they really, when you milk it good, a suplex can make you mark yeah. out. Um, so they do the suplex, they do the slams, they do a lot of uh, the same spots. They do the elbow uh, pad uh, spot. And it was just fun to see them do kind of the same match over and over. It reminded me of stand-up where you do the same five minutes over and over and over until it's good or the same hour until it's ready to record. So a lot of these guys would uh, basically like work together to form like a tight match for TV. Well, that's kind of the way it was set up, you know, back in the day. Like, you would just take it around the loop on the house shows, and then when you got to a point that you were on TV, you would basically just do that that same match. And it's kind of even a little bit the way it is today. Like, in a lot of these house shows, like, guys will, will go out on the road Thursday, Friday, the Russell House Show match. And it obviously will be a little bit longer because it's a house show, and, you know, you don't have all the promos and all the stories and the skits. So you're going to be wrestling for, you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And then when you come to TV, the match is going to be five minutes. So you just take the best parts out of those matches and you put it right on Raw. And that's kind of the formula it even is today, especially for WWE and other places. Where in the indies, you have to murder yourself every single match and (laughs) make at least three GIF files out of it or else you're a piece of shit. So... (laughs) If nobody gets CTE out of this show, I'm going to be pissed on the internet. So, continuing his Vince Senior territory, uh, in 81, Andre would feud with the Mongolian giant, Killer Khan. And according to st- storyline, Khan had snapped Andre's ankle during a match May 2nd of 81 uh, with a top rope knee drop. In reality, Andre had broken his ankle just getting out of bed that morning. And this is famously one of the first times Andre had ever even went to the doctor. And his his doctor said that Andre's ankle bones were the size of a normal man's knee bones. And they were connected to his thigh bones, which were connected to oh, his hip bro, bones. Stop <laughs> it! I knew I just, oh no! I was like, there's a bad... No! There's a bad joke coming. Oh no, I'm in the middle of it. <laughs> I was gonna see how far I could get before someone slapped me. <laughs> you should have. You just keep going. I was gonna. I was gonna go all the way to the fucking head bone. Oh, let, let, let me open up the door for David Schultz. <laughs> if you would have done, done every bone, you Andy Kaufman the shit, and then you just blow us all away. All right. So uh, after after Andre healed up, he uh, came back for revenge, facing. Uh, Khan, July 20th of 81 at Madison Square Garden, that in, and that match ended in a double DQ. However, November 14th of 81, Andre uh, would win as he defeated Khan in what was billed as a Mongolian stretcher match. So uh, if, if you didn't watch this match, it is uh, kind of like a last man standing match, but instead of seeing if you can count to 10, you see if you can put your opponent on a stretcher and then carry you out on the stretcher. Um, I feel like with Andre and his size, he's already got an advantage immediately because how can you carry... Ugh. Yeah, I, I just know I would never lose this match because I've been in an ambulance and I know how much that stretcher is going to cost... Uh, so you'd be fighting the entire yeah, time. Yeah, like, yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can't. Uh, but uh, the question I have about this match is: Would you say that uh, uh, Killer Khan and Andre the Giant have 
Mongolian beef. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. When you say, would you say, I'm like, oh shit, there's a joke. <laughs> also, kill a I, cop. I, but the thing is, I, I just came up with it. I didn't write that down on a notebook. Like That's what everybody okay. says when they think of something three days ago. <laughs> and plus, killer cod... Does every match? I didn't see the Mongolian stretcher match. I suck. But uh, the couple matches I did say he busts out Bruce Lee sound effects on every strike. Is that like, and I was like, is this real? Because I can't buy the drama because I'm laughing too fucking hard. <laughs> well, uh, I thought it was a fun match. Uh, I thought they used the stretcher kind of clever. I really enjoyed the spot where uh, Andre Hakan on the stretcher. Uh, or he could have easily put him on there, and then yeah. he picked it up and threw it out of the ring just because he wanted to punish nice. him more. Uh, there's a good spot where Khan like hangs onto the ropes while they're dragging him out. Is uh, there uh, is there color? Do they? I don't think so. No, no. I don't think they bleed. Um, so uh, Andre wins after hitting Khan with a suplex, followed by two big splashes. And I don't think they were real EMTs because they pulled Khan on the out on the stretcher. Face down. That's, that's how that's, that's how all wrestling EMTs do it. They just <laughs> yank and pull and like, let's get you out of here quick because your neck's fucked up. So let's just yank you out of here. Was one of the EMTs BB from the Attitude Era? <laughs> so. I remember her. So let's move into a smaller territory, which is still an important one. Uh, championship wrestling from Florida. Uh, it was home to many NWA stars like Death the Rhodes, Jack Briscoe, Lex Luger, Barry Windham, Kevin Sullivan, and Luna Fashan, who we covered in our last episode. Uh, incorrect. It was just Dusty Rhodes. He was the only <laughs> superstar. Everybody else. I'm booked was, in every match. Baby. Everybody else was just fucking filler in That's... Florida. All right, let, let get your facts straight. When in you're the gonna, opening match, Dusty Rhodes. When you were coming onto a microphone, do not neglect the fact that Dusty Rhodes was the only superstar. In the second match, Dusty e Rhodes. Everybody else were just wrestlers. There was only one superstar in Florida, and his name was the American Dream. Dusty and in Rhodes. the main event, Dusty Rhodes. That's, that's where that, that phrase, uh, he could wrestle a broom and put on a good match, comes from. It was just Dusty wrestling various brooms and not putting anyone else over. You don't uh -huh. understand. <laughs> I'm such a celebrity that you could book me against the broom. Not because I'm just a good worker, but because I am the most second recognizable, most athlete of the day. I could draw people in to spend their good hard money to come see me wrestle the broom. And they would even doubt for a second, maybe the American dream is going to lose to that broom. And I say, no, baby. No, baby. Stardust will not fall tonight. Stardust will stay in the sky in the stratosphere where he belongs. Because then bristles can cut you you went you went from dusty uh and you slipped into the godfather a little bit there uh, I, a little bit that, that's that those are sometimes cross cross between just like my rick rude and jesse ventura sounds very similar sometimes you got to stick an orange in your mouth to get the right impersonation <laughs> you come to the mecca train death the road acting for a favor daddy <laughs> all right no more impressions all right oh, uh, that's right i'm no, impressed you no. knew that plot point in godfather all right, so as we mentioned before, Andre's size, his fame, how over he was, uh, it, it made him hard to wrestle just one guy. So some of these smaller territories would put him in a ton of two-on-one matches, three-on-one matches, and battle royals. And Boyd at CWF put Andre in some battle royals. Uh, he'd do 10-man battle royals, 15-man, 18-man, 20-man, 3K, 
uh, $5,000 Battle Royals, 10,000 Battle Royals, Battle Royal Gumbo, Fried Battle Royal, <laughs> Battle Royal Stew. All right, you can stop. We get it. We understand our job is to stop you from jokes like this. You have nothing but run-on jokes. But uh, you want to hear a good Battle Royal story? You want to, you yes. Want to, you want a little Sorry, side? Because... Kind of a, if you're doing a battle royal now, are you getting paid the same as this doing, is? This yeah? is this is this okay. is where we're we're gonna get to now. Now also too, like some battle royals, some people get paid for battle royals and stuff like that, but usually the check is the same or, uh, or whatever. And but also too, you, we have to discuss about the money of battle royals uh, because it'd be battle royal like the five thousand yeah, dollar battle royal, the two thousand dollar battle royal. For a long time in Georgia wrestling. They would hand you an actual check because you don't want the marks thinking that the money's not real. So, you know, they would hand you a check, a legit check, and they would show everybody and everybody leaving would show that it's a Everything legit check from from, from the paid. from the promoter. And usually when you would go to the back, they would, you know, ask for the check back. Well, one night, Austin Idol won a battle royal for five thousand dollars and he, uh, you know, got the check, walked to the back and the promoters just left. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, Austin and I was like, I got this $5,000 check. And he was like, kind of like on bad terms with the promotion. And he was gone two weeks later. And he's like, I still got this fucking check that nobody got. And he goes, I'm going to see if I can cash this motherfucker. <laughs> Cashed it, went through. Oh, shit. <laughs> and they called immediately. <laughs> so, yeah, the prize reel sometimes is real in battle royals. It's like you, know. you should have canceled it after you woke up from your hangover, you dumb fucking promoter. <laughs> so I want to say two things about battle royals. First off, as me, as just a fan who grew up watching WWF, Battle Royals were uh, the Royal Rumble was such a once a year big deal yeah. that it's weird for me to see it just on like a Tuesday, <laughs> you know, like just on a card. But I wanted to ask you as a wrestler, um, what is your logic like as a wrestler in a battle royal? I assume it's all called in the ring or what? Yeah, it's a, you all just go in there. And my biggest pet peeve with battle royals, Royal Rumble matches, and I am fucking furious when this fucking happens <laughs> obviously because i just dropped three f-bombs right in a row yeah, and yeah, i try to be as, do that i'm, I the, I'm the cusser on this episode. <laughs> i try to be as clean as possible uh at, on the show but for fuck's sake when i see this on a fucking battle royal it makes me so fucking mad <laughs> the rules are three even even still um yeah yeah it's true uh is when guys sit down and they they they, they're, they're laying down or they're they're not standing up in a corner fighting. They're yeah, yeah. selling forever. Yeah, they're selling, <laughs> okay. but they're laying down. Yeah, yeah. In about, no, the reason why the battle royals are so unique and people, like, because fans love them. Yeah, fans I, love, I love battle them. royals or rumbles there's stuff constantly. because people are standing. The only time it's appropriate for you to be down and out of the way is like if in a Royal Rumble match when somebody's coming in and you're bumping around and you want to lay down so people can solely see Kane come in and murder all, choke slam right, all these right, people. right. You know, th there's a better camera shot. Yep. But the rest of the time, oh, yeah, you need point. to be up in a corner fighting and, and looking like you're going for elimination. Totally. Mm -hmm. That's what that, that's key. Either like you're, you're punching or kicking oh, or look, looking like, like yeah, I can really get him. It, exactly. And, and just stay out of the way of everybody else's spots, like clearly in a corner. Like rarely do you ever see anybody call spots 
in a battle royal world rumble in the corner because those are like your safe zones. Yeah. So you just kind of float and stay there and just kind of be there, but not really anything worth paying attention to yeah, yeah. because people will always draw their attention to where the action is. Yeah. So you just kind of want to be in the corner looking like you're working for elimination and you're you just, just, you're just a good extra in a movie. You're exactly. Just, you're, in the, you're strictly background. It, that, that's the perfect way, way to put it. You have to treat it almost like an extra in a movie. Mm. So. All right. Sorry. Have you ever won a battle royal, Jake? Uh, I refuse to win a battle royale. <laughs> That's a better story than my question. They, they, they tried to ruin my Northeast Wrestling losing streak oh, no. by having me win a fucking battle royal. To which I repeat, it's a fucking battle royal. I'm winning an actual fucking match. Yeah. So, but I, I kind of like that storyline of like Dud win matches but beats twenty other people at once. Nah, fuck that. <laughs> I think they're gonna try and make me win a ladder match, and I'm just I'm gonna refuse that as well. So. <laughs> Have you ever been heard of or been in a situation where the winner uh, accidentally went over the top rope? What the you know who was supposed I, to yeah, win? I particularly haven't had that happen before, but it's come close a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I've seen guys like oh they fell, but luckily they they only had one foot hit. Yeah, okay. like that. I've definitely been in a battle yeah. where that happens where a guy was getting a little too cute. Yeah, they try to do that uh, like curl back the up. Shot Michael, not shit. even that. It, they were they were on the apron and they slipped. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. and, and but luckily like their butt hit the apron just perfectly so when they hung on but like they were one foot definitely touching they didn't weren't planning on touching anything at all in that spot there there was definitely one of those times where that happened there might have been another one where somebody's both feet touched but the ref pretended like he didn't see yeah, it i think there's another outlaw battle royal that i was in where they did that because yeah. sometimes guys get a little too cute yeah, when, yeah, yeah. but but usually i'm gonna if, be kofi kingston oh shit yeah. usually if you're if you're winning guys don't get that cute okay like guys are usually the guy that safe. they yeah, really they want to be safe. over and they don't want they to really want to make sure yeah. that they're not gonna put that much too much drama. The only person I've really seen do that is obviously Shawn Michaels, British Bulldog, yeah, yeah. and that one where you kind of dangle. Yeah, but yeah. even till, even too, he told the cameraman how to shoot that. So even oh, it's, it's perfect. It was yeah. perfect. Yeah. So like they they had covers on that. <laughs> yeah. So just have that one truther in the front row. He's like, I saw them both touch. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure there's somebody in the front row that claims that they saw Shawn Michaels yeah. both feet hit and yeah. British Bulldog. They got a Polaroid camera and it's all blurry. And shit. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. So aside from uh, battle royals, I want to say Royal Rumble. Uh, aside from battle royals. In 1975 in Florida, he would face Harley Race. Who is the fucking man. One of the toughest some bitches there is. And, like, Harley and Andre, like, became fast friends, mostly because Harley, if anybody could keep up with Andre's drinking, it was Harley. Because Harley was a massive drinker. I think I, I think Heenan said that Harley put back 100 beers before. Yeah, so, yeah. like, the just... Shows how tough, and also too, like Harley was usually coming in as like the champion, and he would always get like a big Cadillac. So like sometimes like huh. the a big star would come in. He's got the big car, big run a car, and obviously Andre <laughs> needs the biggest car possible they made to drive. Just because of the size of the seats. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Fast friends. He's like, oh, Andre, why don't you hop in with me? Don't hop I'm in. Here. Yeah, exactly. So you just recline the seat all the way back in the Cadillac. So that's another reason why. You know, Harley and Andre got to be good friends over the years. Also, too, if I'm not mistaken, Harley's one of the few people to actually body slam Andre. So, Yep, he's another one. Is correct. So, yeah. All right, so Andre's last match in 
uh, Championship Wrestling of Florida would be April 13th, 1984. And I'll give you one guess of what type of match it was. It was a battle royal. Oh. All right. So let's uh, take a dip down into Texas, into the NWA Western States Territory, a territory at one point that was ran by the Funk family. Uh, Amarillo, brother, <laughs> as it's referred to. Amarillo for the Funks, you know? Like, that's what referred to us. Uh, I even read a little story about the Funks calling up Vince Sr. after Andre came to town, and they were like, uh, he's selling out every arena we go to. We don't know what to pay him. Because <laughs> we don't Yeah, they were like, out. I don't know. Yeah. Well, because it was a smaller territory. Like, like, that's another thing, too. Like, during these territory days, you would have, obviously, your big ones like Jim Crocker Promotions. Uh, Georgia would be pretty big. Um uh, AWA was a big one, but then you'd have some of the, the smaller, smaller ones, like you'd have Central States or you'd have uh, like Leroy McGurk's territory. I don't think it was really Central States. You'd also have um, Portland was kind of a smaller territory, but you have these like ones that were just kind of in the middle of nowhere wow. or like Houston was just Houston and then the surrounding area. Like you'd have these small ones inside of a big one and Amarillo was kind of a smaller one in Texas because you have us had the Dallas office, you had the Houston office, you even had like a little bit of, like I said, Leroy McGurk's territory kind of up there in Oklahoma, and then also you also had Kansas City close to that, and then of course, you know, we had anybody who would have been running Arizona. I don't know even who the yeah, fuck that was. I just want to start naming big cities and see if you know. I don't even know he was. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so at the San Antonio, San Antonio <laughs> office. So like Amarillo was kind of one of those smaller ones that was just kind of out there. And Amarillo's more of uh, no insult to anyone who lives there. It's kind of like a, a drive-through city on yeah. the top of Texas if it's you're driving right across top, country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it on 40? I think it's on... No, it's on uh, what Route 66. Oh. Uh, at least the more modern Route 66. All right, so I wanted to cover this territory uh, because of a specific guy that Andre <laughs> faced. And uh, let me say that in pro wrestling, not a lot shocks me or surprises me especially digging around these old territory days in the south where the baby faces were basically walking confederate flags tracy smothers <laughs> well let me say i was i hit a strong what the fuck when i came across killer carl cox spelled with three k's i know cox can you believe they made a thing about penis <laughs> man that's fucked up and if the not so subtle not to the clan doesn't scare you he looked exactly like sling blade <laughs> <laughs> and uh andre would face cox uh three times uh winning <laughs> two by count outs uh facing him in amarillo and el paso then and- carl cox uh, super awesome dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I did some digging on Carl because I was intrigued, and he is a very respected ring worker, not a bat talker, and at one point was managed by Bobby Heenan. Um, don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> also, this will be fun. Uh, for uh, I don't know if Micah knows this or some of you El Generico fans. Uh, uh Carl invented the Brain Buster. You mean Brain Buster? <laughs> but also Carl Cox, uh, I remember doing an interview with Bill Mercer, who was the, the voice of world-class wrestling. And he talked about like some of his few friends in 
professional wrestling because usually he was kind of separate to a lot of the wrestlers and he kept it very business but he said like oh, i had some really good friends and he was good friends with wild bill Irwin. but he also talked about carl cox and he said how how just an amazing stand-up dude carl cox was and sometimes bill mercer would be like in like the like the like the balcony area of wherever they'd be wrestling and and carl would always make a point right before his match, look up at Bill and just kind of give him a nod. Like, I know you're up there, buddy. You know, just like, just a nice little wave right before he works for 20, 30 minutes in the main event, you know, just thinking of his friend, like, Hey buddy, nice yeah. to see you up there. And he didn't want money. He just wanted uh mustard and biscuits and French fried potatoes. <laughs> All right. So the next territory we're going to hop into is another big hitter, the AWA. However, we're going to do that on part two of Andre in the Territories. Uh, so let's go ahead and wrap up. Any final thoughts on uh, WWWF and, um, or Texas? Uh, no, or but Florida? we will, we, you know, just to let people know if you're like, well, we are coming back to WWF, like we said before. So we're going to circle back at it. Another, another another part so we just covered the early stuff and i've got a whole bunch of stuff i'm excited for part two of this whole thing yeah because yeah, really if you like what we got going right now i got more research on everything else we got coming jake, up. jake has so many little blue notes all over this shit yeah, <laughs> i'm so, kind of like man i should have done more research because jake's whooping my ass so if you're digging part one part two is gonna be really good and there's gonna be more battle royal talk yeah. shocker just to let you know and i gotta go i got some oh, inoki uh andre battle royal talk in japan because the battle royals knew no continent for andre and they even did them in japan which i think that's the only J- japanese battle royal i've ever seen and i'm gonna delete all these hip bone jokes that i wrote <laughs> no 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 the uh skeleton dance jokes a lot of skeleton dance jokes i got keep saying it skeleton dance <laughs> If you like what we do and you like to help us keep doing it, head over to our Patreon, which is up now. Uh, we have some very cool gifts in exchange for your United States currency, and you can find us at patreon.com slash 10, the number 10, 10 Bell Pod. Uh, again, we are at 10 Bell Pod on all the social medias, or just check out 10bellpod.com. Shout out to Six Squirrel Studios for all our fancy pants professional production stuff. Uh, I'm Nico Lessa on all the social medias. Micah is Jay Trotter on Twitter. Nobody has called me a moron yet on Twitter, which I'm kind of waiting for. That's when I know we make it, when someone (laughs) out of the blue calls me a fucking idiot. We didn't release that episode, so... (laughs) So I'm like, I'm waiting for that. So yeah, and, and can we can we give a clap for Nick nailing the name? I did it. Yeah. I'm, I'm very proud. All right. Uh, uh, Jake is Man Scout Manning on all the social medias. Um, and if you have any suggestions for Patreon stuff that we could do or any stuff, hey, shoot those too. Because I'm brainstorming stuff of stuff I want to do, and yeah. Yeah, and we'll, we'll possibly get this very very rare Andre footage up there, assuming that we don't get sued. Um, all right, this is Tim Bell Pod live from the Manning Cave. Insert a cool sign off line here. We'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>